In Mass for the sixth Sunday of Easter, we hear a reading from the first letter of St. Peter, chapter 3. St. Peter teaches us to reverence the Lord Christ in our hearts. And then he teaches us to always have an answer ready for people who ask us for the reason for our hope. We're meant to give this explanation with courtesy and respect and with a clear conscience. In other words, reflect upon what you believe and why you hope and the mysteries of faith that are given to us through Christ. But make sure to do it in a composed manner so as to appeal to the proper sense of thinking of the other person. That person knowing that you show them respect both in the way you say things and in the way you attempt to give an orderly and clear account of your faith will find it far easier to reflect themselves and perhaps be moved by grace to accept Christ into their lives. The word that St. Peter uses here is a word that's used in the legal courts of the time. We use the English word apology, often we mean by that word that we're expressing our regret and our sorrow for something that has gone wrong and for something that we have done that is wrong, that has given offense to another person. This word in the Latin is apologia and in the Greek apologia, forgive my poor pronunciation of the word, refers to a defense. So the idea is Imagine a court case and there's a legal case presented before a judge and a jury, so there's meant to be a reasoned explanation of one's case. This gave birth to the word apologetic. So St. Peter, to come back to the text, is saying, give a reason, that is, make a defense of the hope that you have. So give a reasoned explanation. And when we talk about apologetics, we're really just saying that we reflect upon our faith and we give a reasoned explanation of what that faith is and how there's an inner coherence of the faith. And also we try and answer objections to the faith. We try and say to people that the challenges to belief don't really hold water or that they're not definitive objections to believing. And then sometimes we appeal to analogies that we find in life to help people to think and reflect upon what the faith could mean. In a way, this is what Jesus does sometimes in his parables. He's appealing to everyday experience of work and of life and relationships to help people to imagine and think their way into the mystery of the kingdom. And then in the New Testament, we see people like Paul also doing the same thing. For example, if you go to the Acts of the Apostles, chapters 14 or chapter 17, here you have Paul appealing to the witness of the experience of the people. These are people who come from a Greek background. And Paul tries to say, well, look at what you've already experienced so that you don't make a mistake about worshipping false idols or making the mistake of polytheism, or rather the witness of nature and of the benefits of life help you to see that there would be 
an ultimate good source of all these blessings. So in chapter 14, God did not leave himself without witness, for he did good and gave you from heaven rains and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. So their own experience helps them to begin to reason as to the source of the world and of creation and of themselves as personal beings. And in Acts chapter 17, you have Paul reaching out to the people, showing respect for them, but trying to lead them beyond what they've previously believed and experienced to a deeper appreciation for God. So Paul points to an altar here in the Arapagus and says, Will you have an altar here to an unknown God? But what you worship is unknown. I'm here to proclaim to you. God is your creator. God doesn't dwell in shrines. God has given us everything so that we would be moved in our hearts to seek and to find him. And we're going to find him in Christ. In fact, Paul quotes poets of the ancient world, Epimenides and Aratus, in him we live and move and have our being. So God is intimately near each person, Paul is saying, and it's the intuition of it is witnessed in your greatest writers. So this respect for reason and giving an audit account is very important. And you could say that it's treasured in the Old and the New Testament. There's the book of wisdom, there's the book of Proverbs, and in the New Testament, St. Luke, when he begins his account of the life of Christ, is careful to say in very elegant Greek. Some would argue the most elegant Greek of the New Testament He's writing an orderly account for you. He talks to Theophilus, but it's for each one who's going to read the gospel, that you may know the truth concerning the things of which you have been informed. Here's my question at the end of this. Have we reflected on the reason that we believe and the reason that we hope? If we do, asking the Holy Spirit to guide us, we'll begin to see a pattern, a reasonable pattern to emerge in our minds. And from this reflection... And from reading great authors, we'll be able to give an account to others to help them to reflect upon their own experience and to be open to the grace of God. We can't give people faith. It's a point made by Cardinal Avery Dulles in his History of Apologetics. But what we can do is to help people to appreciate what, in fact, the Christian faith is and to see that some of their objections, at least, aren't really objections to faith as such. There might be misconceptions what our faith is. Let us pray for the grace to think well, to speak well of Christ, to do this with a sense of courtesy and respect that people may be open to an explanation of the riches of Christ's life.